Hey, good people, how are we doing? So the conversation that you are about to listen to uh, took place a couple of weeks ago, uh, but it is still an important conversation to have, still a very poignant conversation. And uh, I, I plan it this way because a lot of times conversations focus around a trend. And once the trend is over, the conversations cease to be had. So I wanted to bring it in after the trend was over, after the, the buzz and the hype was over, so that we can listen to it from a more level-headed, um, with a more level-headed attitude. So we're going to get into it without further ado. This is the Adam Cowder episode of Good Radio. Enjoy, guys. Hey, good people. How we doing? How we doing? So here at Finding Good Times, it is an imperative to not only be a house for stories, not only be a place where people feel comfortable with sharing their stories, but a place where we feel comfortable with interacting with the stories of other people, a place where people feel comfortable with sharing their ideas, sharing their, their thoughts about what other people may be going through, about uh, other things that they might not have experienced themselves in person. Uh, I wanted to open up this platform because, well, first let me introduce you to my, my guy here, it's my main guy. Um, he usually uh, is a, a, a very active responder uh, to things that I post, whether it be the good morning messages or uh, things about um, uh, racial issues and community issues. This is Adam Cowder. Say what's up, Adam. Hey, thanks for having me, Kyle. And I, I just got to say also, uh, I've been watching your platform for a long time and uh i think the recent growth is is uh, no coincidence and i think you've your your focus has led you to start to grow this platform so i'm super excited because i was there right right at the very beginning after we met at a bar in uh crown heights so it's just exciting to see you start to take off thank you so much you know it's it's funny because you know i was at a point in my life that was really uh Fight Club was the movie that I was thinking about. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, you met me at a very strange time in my life. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, and, and one of the things is, right, being at bars, you know, they say drunk men tell no tales, right? So uh, starting the relationship with that um, loudness and, and uh, you know, I, I can't even remember the, the context under which uh, we met in terms of conversation. I'm sure it was, a weird one, <laughs> but um, it it always is when it with you, and it always is with me. So I, it was probably it's probably double double weird. There we go. I love it. I think that um, we well, let's just dive on in, right? I, I yeah. For people watching uh, or listening, rather, I usually say that I'm a buck guy, right? And what I mean by that, <laughs> people um, usually put all the niceties and all of the buffer before the butt. And after the butt of the sentence, they say what they really mean and what they really want to say. So I like to get past all of the niceties really quickly and let's get to the butt. Not saying that there's any, any bad things that's going to happen in this conversation, but we, let's, let's just dive right in, right? I'm right there. I'm right there with you. Let's do it. So uh, the, the idea for this episode came about after the incident with Nick Cannon, right? That's and right. That's right. Just to give some context to the people who might not uh, be following it, uh, which is totally fair. Uh, Nick Cannon has uh, a YouTube series called Cannon's Class. Cannon's Class has been running for, I want to say, a, a year or two, uh, you know, something like that. Yeah. And uh, on his 
not recent, but second to most recent episode, he had a, a gentleman on called Professor Griff, who is an esteemed member of, or a former member of um, the rap group Public Enemy, who was uh, very active in the late 80s and early 90s, and a, a conscious rap group, one of the last before quote-unquote gangster rap took over. Um, and he had some things to say about uh, the Jewish community, which he has been saying for uh, a very long time. Uh, and Nick Cannon uh, responded with a couple of statements, one of them being, uh, um, one of them telling about the, the common view in um, Black nationalist society about um, the the origins of white people uh and if i'm wrong um or if or if well i'll give you a chance to tell your yeah i think you i think you got it right so far yeah um and he uh said uh in words that i think could have been worded a little bit differently but we'll talk about that later he said that uh you are talking to white people you are the true savages um you, uh, he was explaining about uh, the diasporic um, spreading uh, from original people to people uh, migrating to the Caucasus Mountains and having limited resources, limited um, sunlight, limited natural, uh, natural es- earth essences at their disposal, which turn them effectively into people who uh, are greedy and hoarding and uh, use violence to colonialize people around them. Um, Also, he said some disparaging things about Jewish people, um, saying that they weren't uh, real Jews or weren't real Semites. And uh, I put up something in turn, I put up something saying, you know, this is why we, uh, well, Nick Cannon got fired from Viacom, CBS. And uh, about, I think it was 48 hours after. Um, yep. And a lot of people in uh, the black community felt a little bit enraged or a lot of bit enraged at that. And I put up something that says, this is why we need to own our thing. Adam reached yep. out to me as he should have and uh, gave his perspective as a Jewish man. And this is where we're at. Uh, we had a yep. conversation, uh, but we decided to do, do more of an in-depth conversation for the podcast. Uh, so Adam, I want you to tell a little bit about what you thought about uh, what pr- transpired. Well, first of all, I'll say uh, you, you set it up just right. I mean, what, how you saw it is, is how I saw it too. Um, pretty much every step along the way. One thing I'll point out is I'm really just talking about Professor Griff's uh, a- anti-Semitic comment here because mm-hmm. uh, I, his comments about colonialism and, and white people as a whole, I mean, I'm not going to say I would have phrased it that way, but that's, there was, there was some truth to that. And I, and I think that we can, we can say that. And, you know, maybe, maybe he said it in an inflammatory way, but I'm specifically pointing out that uh, the comments that he made and then also Nick Cannon. And we've also had like Steven Jackson, Deshaun Jackson, Dwayne Wade. There's been um, a couple celebrities in the past two weeks that have kind of gotten in hot water all over the kind of same source here, which is how does the black community view the Jewish community? 
Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's, I'm really glad we're having this conversation because I believe that the way that the conversation's being displayed in, in the media is not the way that it really is. And, um, you know, I think um, I have like a, a little bit of history that I'm interested in, especially you and I both live in Brooklyn, which is where a lot of the uh, relations, both positive and challenging between our communities have played out over the past hundred years, kind of. Very um, important. And, Yes. And, and I think, um, I, I do also want to touch on, um, Farrakhan, which I think, uh, is, is in some ways part of the disagreement. And I think, um, where I want to end and the message that I kind of am here to talk about is solidarity. So that's where I'm kind of getting with all this, which is that, and I'll, and I'll give a, a quick preview of the conclusion before we get there, which is that we have got to understand that we are in this together and that our enemy does not have one religion or one race or one gender or any of those things. Uh, the, the enemy of our combined people are the people that have are in power in this country that have made uh, decisions that have hurt our communities. And the, those people do, uh, I, I don't think we sh- should refer to them as any one specific creed, but I think it's an interesting conversation to have and I'll, buzz you back in in a second to see what you think. But the, uh, when I first heard the comments about, uh, from Nick Cannon and from Deshaun Jackson, you know, the first thing I think of is, and I, and I'm sorry, we're going to go a little dark here for a second, but I promise we'll get back up is the tree of life shooting, uh, a couple of years ago. So the tree of life shooting for anybody listening that uh, is not familiar was a shooting at a synagogue that took place a couple years ago from a white nationalist, essentially. And Mm -hmm. this guy, essentially, he came in and he had this manifesto and the manifesto kind of went like this. Uh, He said, these are his words, Jews are waging a propaganda war against Western civilization. And it's so effective that we are headed towards certain extinction within the next 200 years. Mm. Uh, and he had, he said a lot of stuff like this. Essentially, he believed that Jews were controlling, they were controlling a certain narrative, a certain uh, way of society, a certain moral code. And he posted, and I found this to be critical to our conversation. He posted an image, and I swear I'm connecting this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he posted an image. He posted an image of a Jewish man, a cartoon driving a stake into Europe and the stake was in the shape of Africa. And essentially in this man's, in this man's view, Jewish people were using black people to destroy white people. And then he shot the congregation uh, at, at tree of life synagogue. Um, So what I found interesting about that is a a mistake. I think that both of our communities are at times uh, uh, at times they can make which is that uh, that man who shot up the tree of life, that man is both of our enemy. That man, uh, he had backwards and racist views towards both of our communities. And what was interesting about him is he used the language, he used the same language that we've heard in the past couple weeks about Jewish people driving this sort of controlling society as part of this uh, grand plan to destroy Western civilization. And it takes it takes many different forms, but this to me is a problem because there's the kernel of truth in it is that there are some people that are out to destroy institutions of black society, mm-hmm. but to call them Jews 
whether some of them are or not, to call them Jews does not hurt the people that are in that are actually in control. The mm. people that it does the people that it does hurt are the people that we see walking around our neighborhood in Brooklyn who do not have control over much of anything when it comes to the media or the overarching uh, systems of power in America. So I, you know, I have some more to say on this really quick, but I guess I want to say. Uh, before I hand it back to you, I'm interested to know what your thoughts are on this idea that um, the message, and this is a message that is found in black nationalist society, just like you said before, mm-hmm. um, in my, in my opinion, and I'll touch on this later, it's not as pervasive as people think it is, but there is an attitude that uh, this uh, Jewish control of society is, is hurting us. And I think that by identifying it and labeling it as such, and whenever this rises up again, not only does it not help uh, black community, it, it hurts our community. And it, to me, this is the opposite of solidarity, which is two people that should be working together to overcome what's really going on and driving them against each other. So I want to know mm-hmm. what you think about that. And then I, ha- I do have some more to say about it. Okay. Um, so I think that a lot of times in this country, uh, the black community has been used as a stepping stool towards um, assimilation, towards wealth, towards community stabilization outside of the black community. Uh, let me just say quickly, if you guys hear a little bit of thunder, it is thundering like crazy <laughs> yes. in Brooklyn. <laughs> Don't worry yes. about that. I can't, uh, believe, I can't believe we're pulling this off right now. It's, it's crazy outside. Hey man, it's like God's talking to us. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I do think that I think that um, whether it be uh, the Jewish community or uh, any other community, right? Uh, a lot of times, if you look in majority Black communities, you see that majority of the businesses are not Black businesses, right? Uh, you see that uh, majority of the businesses are not even businesses of people that have been in the country for uh, a significant amount of time. And it's, uh, it's very hard on the black community that we don't have places to circulate our dollar. And uh, we are very cognizant of that, right? We're very cognizant of not just Jewish control, but the, con- the lack of our control in our community. Um, I think that we see platforms um, not owned by us, not controlled by us, imagery not owned by us, not controlled by us. And yeah. we see a kind of um, a kind of chasm between uh, our so I wanna I wanna kind of go back to what uh, Professor Griff's original point was back in the eighties, right? To answer your question. Yes. Um, yes. He was initially talking about hip hop. He was initially talking about the music business and he brought up the, the, the fact that uh, the music business was overseen by people and and rap specifically overseen by people, not in uh, the black community. That's right. Right. That's right. So, so it's the artists going out and doing all the work artists going out and, you know, creating the things and, it were people from other communities reaping off of that. And I think that's a common thing in, in the black community. Yes. And, and a lot of resentment 
uh, is fostered from that, right? A lot of resentment. But like you said, it's not just one community. I think it, it's been easy to uh, pin Jewish people to that. That's right. Um, but it's dangerous when we, like well, you said, it, it's dangerous when we uh, have one, when we say it's one group and it's, it's, it's not a group. It's not a, a, a yeah. Well, I want to speak to that for a second because I, th- I think the point you're bringing up is is critical to our discussion, which is that you know, and and I'll say it uh, quite plainly, which is that there is some perceived and some real Jewish uh, influence in the creation of Black culture in America over the past, I'd say, forty to forty five years. Um, that is real. Uh, some of it is perceived and some of it is real. And I think that uh, measuring out those two things isn't as productive, but I think that there is a kernel of truth in, in what's being discussed right now. But you know what I think is interesting and where you're just getting at it right there is that it may be true that of the music producers of the uh, in athletics and in other places, which is where we've seen this attitude kind of come out that uh the representation of Jewish people has trumped the representation of African-American people, I would say, in, in, these, in these ways. And in, in black people, I shouldn't, you know, not all African-American, but black people as a whole. Mm-hmm. However, and I'll go back to my point about the people we see walking around Brooklyn. That may be true of the percentage of people that are in that field, but it's not true of the percentage of Jewish people, say. So Jewish people make mm-hmm. up some 2 per, 2% of, of American society. Um, and the people that we see walking around the street, the people that are go to the tree of life synagogue, the people that we see kind of walking around, we have some tensions with, the, with them. And we also love them. They're part of our community. And we all, you know, we all live in Brooklyn here together. We, we got to get along. Right. Uh, yeah. And what I'll say about it is that none of those people that we see, none of those people we see walking around have really much control at all over the creation and uh, distribution of, of black culture that, and, and I agree with you. And, and, and one thing that you'll remember that I said in our chat was that your ultimate conclusion that black people should own more of their, of what they create. I agree mm-hmm. with. And, and, you know, getting out of, I'm not going to stand here and defend Viacom. Viacom mm-hmm. is, an, is an evil corporation. And, and I think that um, as much as I disagreed with Nick Cannon's approach, I don't think he should have been fired. And I think that um, a lot of what you said about that was, was especially after his apology, which I felt was heartfelt. And, um, you know, his, he, he understood the situation. I think that the real enemy there was, was Viacom and Viacom was made up of a lot of people that are not Jewish. And I think that when we look at the people that attend these synagogues, the people that will now suffer as a result of some of these comments, it's not the people that, 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 frustrations should be taken out against it's not the same people and when and when the tree of life massacre occurred those people in that synagogue they were the wrong people uh they did not have anything with uh with what that now obviously this is an extreme situation but um you know so i i just would point out that i think you're right and i think your solution to the problem which should be more black ownership and control over what you create I'm with you and I'll support you. And, you know, earlier, and this is getting to one of the points I wanted to make more than the media will tell you Mm -hmm. Jewish people support, support this as well. And the recent 
uh, you know, a lot of times Jewish people are depicted as having very uh, kind of a monolithic viewpoint, like a Zionistic viewpoint. I mean, that's one example, being yeah. uh, pro pro Israel, or uh, or or by some people being racist, or and 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 there and that is true about some people. But lately, the Anti Defamation League, and I'm, I'm specifically bringing them up because you brought them up. And what's interesting about the Anti-Defamation League is they've they've said a lot of bad things about Farrakhan and the Nation of Islam. And uh, getting it, getting into that, uh, I think we could do a whole other podcast on. But what I would like to point out is is the statement they put out recently on um, George Floyd, and then I would like to kind of connect Farrakhan and their the mis- misunderstanding of both of them together, and then kick it back to you. So this okay. is the statement they put out. This is the statement they put out. We stand in solidarity with the black community as they yet again are subject to pain and suffering at the hands of a racist and unjust system. While it is a necessary first step in the pathway towards justice, that former officer Derek Chauvin was taken into custody. It is not enough based on the horrifying cell phone footage that has rightfully outraged Americans across the country. It is clear that the three other former officers need to be held responsible for their actions to the fullest extent of the law. Uh, And then skipping forward a little bit, as an organization committed to fighting all forms of hate, we know this brutal death follows an explosion of racist murders and hate crimes across the U.S. As an agency that has stood for justice and fair treatment to all since our founding in 1913, we know that this has occurred at a time when communities of color have been reeling from the disproportionate health impacts and economic consequences of the coronavirus pandemic. So this is just a statement, right? But yeah. in addition, in addition, over the past, say, 100 years, uh, the ADL has been there. Uh, they have basically supported most of the civil rights uh, uh, situations. They've been on the right side of it. Now, I have some issues with the ADL as well, which we don't need to go into. But the reason that I'm picking them out is that by and large, even though this isn't what's often discussed by Farrakhan, their mm-hmm. mission is, has not been against Farrakhan. Now, that is the part they're most well known for. But overall, that's not been their mission. Now, conversely, and this is what Jewish people, I think, don't understand about Farrakhan, is that his anti-Semitism, which I believe he has made many anti-Semitic comments that I wish he had never said, and some of them are, are terrible. But that was never, I think, the key part of his appeal to black people. And I'll let you respond to that because I may be wrong. But I think that his message about self-empowerment and the way he denounced white racism, that is the key appeal of Minister Farrakhan. And in the same way that the ADL's 100 years has been reduced to criticism of the Nation of Islam, much of Farrakhan's life, which is not really about what he is most famous for in our community, which is anti-Semitism, that's not really the summation of his work. In fact, it's far from it. And I think that there are a lot of Farrakhan quotes that I've seen and been able to take out of the context of how uh, things like the ADL view him and say, this is, this is what he's saying is empowering. And you know, what was really interesting is a uh, political scientist from Howard University says, uh, you know, there, there were churches essentially that couldn't reach, like there's a reason why he plays an important role. There were churches that couldn't reach black men in prison or didn't want to, or didn't know how to. That was, that was what they considered to be, you know, the lowest part of society at the time. But Farrakhan did, he put in that effort. And a lot of people that don't understand how people could support Farrakhan after some of the things he said, and I do think that's important to the conversation we're having. They're missing 
the large body of work he's put in that was liberating and empowering to people that no one else would speak to. And I think the political scientist that I'm referring to said after that, to assume every, to assume every church member believes everything the pastor says is ridiculous, but that doesn't mean they're going to stop going to church. And so one of the things that I tell the people that uh, I talk to that are so confused as to how a hate speaker like Farrakhan could remain popular and influential. That's what I go back to, which is some people say the same thing about the ADL. And it really, they're a large body of work, just like Farrakhan's body of work is about empowerment. And I think that when we take this back to the Nick Cannon situation that we're in right now, some of the talking about made a mistake. And you said the same to me when we were on the messaging. That's not that what they said was wrong. But pretty much everybody has apologized for it at this point. So, you know, should those people continue to be uh, canceled or, uh, you know, silenced? In my opinion, no. I think you should take a look at their body of work, at what Nick Cannon has been saying, what Stephen Jackson has been saying about the George Floyd protests and say, should this one mistake or misphrasing or how they've set it up, should this cancel their body of work? And I don't speak for everybody. I say no. So I'll kick that back to you to see what you think about all that. Well, and maybe you can answer this before I Mm -hmm. go into mine. Um, what, in your opinion, whether it be Nick or Professor Griff or mm-hmm. um, Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, what exactly, uh, and I know that there might be a lot to, be, to pick from here, but what exactly uh, offends the Jewish community? Sure. I, I, that's actually a really good question because I think that there's not everybody, and again, I'm not a spokesman for the community, so I can just tell you how I grew up in my house, which was that Farrakhan was a complete villain, uh, somebody who uh, had no redeeming value. That's what I was raised to believe, and it wasn't until I became an adult that I realized that this it wasn't so simple as that. Um, and you know what I think it is, and I think it's oftentimes the way that he has approached, the way he's talked about issues has implicated Jewish people as a religious group instead of a the uh, more accurate discussion of all people in in positions of power, including other white people and um, even people of minority groups, even though that's less common, but mostly white people that have been in power and have hurt communities instead of speaking to it in that way, which my last message that we'll get to is, is about solidarity. Right. And so mm-hmm. what is solidarity? Solidarity is when our communities, everybody that understands what we need to do for progress unites together and works together to address what's hurting the people that are being hurt right now. And to me, those, that is our America's black community, even though Jewish people do have some legitimate grievances currently, the current issue is the one facing the black community. So uh, if that's, if that's solidarity, if that's solidarity, if me saying that is what solidarity means, then minister Farrakhan and uh, the other people were talking about the mistake that they made was saying Jews by looking at this and saying Jews. Now Farrakhan also talked about other people in power, right? But we don't talk about that. The media doesn't talk about that. Why don't they talk about it? Because he said Jews. And that's exactly what Stephen A. Smith on ESPN was talking about recently, which is one of the many mistakes with saying that is now, what did we lose? We lost two weeks. We lost momentum for Black Lives Matter. We lost momentum for protests. And what were we talking about? We were talking about the plight of 
the Jewish person in America. That was the national discourse for two weeks. And now these things have already started to fade in the rear view because 2020 is crazy. So when Mm -hmm. I go back and I look at Farrakhan's messaging of the many, many, and, and this is something I've learned from you watching your content, all the positive, empowering content he's released. How is he known to so many people in this country as an anti-Semite? Why? Because he said, and I can give you a quote if you want. I, I don't know how much you want to get into it, but when he says something like this, he says something like this. The Jews were responsible for all of this filth and degenerate behavior that Hollywood is putting out, turning men into women and women into men. So that's just one piece of, of, of a speech that he made that had a lot of empowering uh, language in it. And the entire speech is lost because this is the only one. This quote is the only one that people think about. And it, and it is, a, it is not the right thing to say. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's important to, to point out too, like you said in that speech, it was one, uh, I mm-hmm. put up a message today about meme culture and, and I, yep. uh, related it to Instagram, but it's been happening for a long time, right? Where we take one thing and blow it up yep. and make it a uh, the whole point when it was one point, right? Um, and, and I do think that, one, let me just, just say for everyone listening, um, I am and have been a huge follower of the Honorable uh, Minister Louis Farrakhan for, I would say, I don't know, 10 years. Um, the, the power that he brings to our community, not just in action, uh, in terms of cleaning up a lot of uh, the community, um, putting place financial things that, that pl- financial plans for the African American community. Um, that has been one point, but the biggest point for me has been seeing someone uh, have the ability to Unfil- in an unfiltered way, speak truth to power. I think if you if we are going to have a conversation about why Black folk are as attracted to Farrakhan as they are, we have to um, we have to talk about the the dynamic uh, between Black folk and white folk, right? Whether they be Jewish or any other white folk um, in this country. Sorry for the thunder again, guys. Uh, in, <laughs> In this country, there has been, by design, a a culture where black folk don't talk back to white folk, right? If they do, there is a public whipping, a public lynching, a a thing where you might say something, you might step up, but get ready to have your life taken, get ready to be publicly embarrassed, get ready to be to face assassination whether a character assassination or whether a physical assassination. Um, So what happens to- That's true. What happens to Nick Cannon, right? What happens to um, a lot of uh, the black folk we see in this generation has happened to Malcolm X, right? Has happened to um, Martin Luther King, right? This person that is lauded as the you know, this, this country's face of hope and face of, yep. of, of uh, solidarity, as you say, in his time was labeled as an anti-Semitic, a person that has, has you know, said anti-Semitic things, right? And that's why I asked the You're question, right. uh, that's why I asked the question, what, 
uh, specifically, because I think in terms of black folk, we don't, we see it as, and I'll, I'll let you get back in, but we see it as yeah, sorry. From, from a ground level, right? Uh, I want to read something from James Baldwin. Uh, he says, uh, in Harlem, our landlords were Jews and we hated them. We hated them because they were terrible landlords and did not take care of the buildings. The grocery store owner was Jewish. The butcher was Jewish. And yes, we certainly paid more for bad cuts of meat than other New York citizens. And we very often carried insults home along with our meats. And the pawnbroker was Jewish. Perhaps we hated most hated him most of all. Uh, I read that not to say that they're, you know, Jewish people are bad, bad Jewish people. I, I read that to say that in a lot of cases in black communities on a ground level. Especially, right? especially in this city. Especially in New York, right? He's talking about Harlem. Mm-hmm. And uh, we know that in, in Crown Heights, there is a weird, a weird vibe between the Hasidic Jews that yes. occupy and, and the, you know, Caribbean black folk that occupy yes. on the ground level where like, you know, okay, rich people in general, you give people millions of dollars, they're going to act crazy. Right. But I'm talking about yes. on, a, on, a, on a general level, right. In terms of communication, in terms of black and Jewish communicate people that are just making it right. Yep. I want to know uh, from a Jewish, uh, someone who has grown up in Brooklyn and, and is Jewish, what were the interactions and the the conversations around black folk, right? In your household, in uh, where you grow up, where where you, where you yeah. school, yada yada yada. Well, you know, you know what's so interesting about that, and this is one of the things I'm most kind of excited and interested in talking about. I also don't want to misre- misrepresent myself. Um, I my while my family is from Brooklyn, I didn't grow up in Brooklyn. Um, I okay. grew up in Virginia. I grew up in Virginia and my uh, parents who immigrated in here to uh, are my grandparents whose I guess a little family history is that uh, they left Cotter. My name is a German name. Uh, they left uh, European anti-Semitism in the thirties and came through Ellis Island and settled down here in Brighton beach and in Flatbush, uh, which is where my family was originally from. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then my parents um, raised me in Virginia and then I moved back up to Brooklyn. Um, and I, w- I still want to answer your question. I think it's an interesting question. Um, I cannot speak for the Hasidic communities that you're talking about. What I, I do feel comfortable speaking for is a more modern viewpoint from uh, the, the liberal kind of reform Jew, uh, which makes up many, many more Jews than I think we see here in Crown Heights. Um, and it's something that's worth bringing up, which is that in my house growing up, there was never the idea now of course there are there are these little things that any white family grows up with that we look back and say you know that that was wrong and 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 i certainly have those as well but growing up and i'll cite my grandmother for being the influence here growing up the idea was one of solidarity essentially that the jewish people especially those that were that close in proximity to the holocaust owed it to the black community to prevent what had happened to us from happening to them. And that's something that I believe runs stronger than the narrative that we will hear about. Now, there are people in New York City 
the landlords, and I'm not a big fan of landlords, got to tell you, no matter what their religion or race is, uh, it's, it's, I'm not going to defend them. I'm not going to defend Viacom. I'm not going to defend landlords. I'm not going to defend the pawnbroker. And I think that there are reasons why James Baldwin said that. And, um, you know, well, here's what I will say. Back in the early part of the 20th century, uh, when the NAACP and the National Urban League were being founded, the lawyers were Jewish. Why were they Jewish? Because white people would not help African-American or black people create their own organizations. When the NAAC Legal Defense Fund won its long, long court battle against the Jim Crow segregation, mm. the, lawyers, the lawyers were Jewish. Over 50% of the white lawyers that came down into the South to start fighting Jim Crow, this is 2% of the population of America. Over 50% of those lawyers were Jewish, touching cases that white people wouldn't touch. Are these the same people as the landlords that Jane Baldwin's talking about? No. But when you say Jews, you include them too. And I think that to me, this is an interesting point to bring up because, and this is, the, this is part of the philosophy of solidarity to me, which is when we recognize that what James Baldwin said is factually true, because it is true, he's talking about his experience. I'm not going to tell him that it wasn't that way. What I will tell him is that when you say Jewish, you are including the people that fought and died alongside the civil rights activists in the 60s. Uh, Martin Luther King's advisor, Stanley Levinson, who uh, was his lawyer and one of his most trusted advisors. The diaspora of Jewish thought is as is as diverse as the black diaspora of thought. And I think that it's important to say, you know, right here in Brooklyn today, uh, we have uh, Jews for Racial and Economic Justice, which is an organization I'm a part of. And I really, anyone listening to this that wants to get involved in racial justice from a, a Jewish perspective should check them out. Jews for Racial and Economic Justice are out here marching and protesting, not for themselves, but for black people. And I think that it's, it's, it hurts to uh, see that be left out of the media narrative. Um, and I think that there's a lot of reasons for that. But I guess the thing I'm trying to bring it back to is I think what you're saying is true and what I'm saying is true, which is that Jewish people have contributed to the hurt of black people in America, and that should be acknowledged, and we should, ha we should be held accountable for that. Let me, let me ask you one, also, one question first. Hold yeah. on one second. Sure. I, I think, because I think Please. it's great, right? And I, uh, I think I kind of knew that you did that uh, because uh, you post, you reposted something I posted and I got like a slew of followers that, that I may have been <laughs> That's right. involved in that. I think it's a great thing. Um, and, and I wanted to ask you about this later, but since you brought it up, we'll, we'll talk about it now. Yeah. Um, there is a, an air of um, real anti, anti-racism activism going on on social media, right? That's right. Um, mm -hmm. Whether it is for, for the cynical folk, it is a trend for the people who have hope. It is a new wave of, of you know, a realization in this country. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I, I question. Right. If we're all sitting together in a room. Yep. Right. I, I think obviously I don't think that Jewish people are the devil. Um, obviously, you are you don't believe that black folks should be treated in uh, crazy racist ways. But if we're all sitting in a room, uh, kind of sharing the same view, right? Mm -hmm. Does that really change the outside world, right? Because it's as amazing as it is that 
you guys exist that this organization as amazing mm -hmm. as, it, as it is that we're having this conversation i wonder if it penetrates where it needs to penetrate i'm talking about the people yeah. who may not ever have have any jewish friends or may not have any black friends or <laughs> may hate both of us right like yep. Yep. how do we how do we impact those how do we get those people out of the way or pierce their heart or or how do we fix that damn that's a good question um i want to i want to answer it in two ways and then i kind of want to hear your answer to it as well mm -hmm. um which is the reason i uh picked the organization that i picked to promote jews for racial economic justice is because there's a lot of uh kind of Instagram stories and, you know, all of the people that are seeing them are the people that already agree with us. Right. I mean, there's so much of that. And I think that echo chamber is part of what you're talking about. And, you know, the first answer I would have to your question is we need to be careful about like which organizations from our communities that we're supporting, we should be supporting the people that are actually getting out in the streets. Um, and I think that that is important answer to your question. But I think the most important answer to your question, and this is where I'm going to get, I'm going to get a little Marxist here. Uh, sorry to any <laughs> viewers that may be offended by that. Let me get a little Marxist here. And this is something, this is a point that I knew you were looking forward to me making because I think it was where we started to agree. Mm -hmm. When we say all war is class war, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. To me, it means, it means that we, the people that understand what's happening in this country, we must come together and stay on the same side of this, essentially. And that's what solidarity to me is all about. And solidarity to me is such an important aspect of this. And when I go back to the Tree of Life, you were talking about people who hate both of us. And I want to say really quick, I do not equate the Jewish struggle and the black struggle in America. And I think that anybody who does in 2020 is severely missing the point of the current uh, uh, racial situation affecting black Americans, because it is currently, it is just not comparable. And anybody who says, I understand your struggle, maybe it was comparable back in the thirties. You know, maybe when my grandmother said that when I was growing up, it was comparable right now. It's not. And I think that's important to say. Um, and I think that right now the national discussion about black lives is the one that we should be having. So how can we do what you said? How can we break out of our bubble? To me, so, and, and there are many answers to this, solidarity is the answer and recognizing who it is that we have to go against. So when we spend two weeks talking about whether Nick Cannon is evil, <laughs> about, whether, uh, about whether Jewish Jews are waging a propaganda war, uh, when we start talking about whether or not Deshaun Jackson is the problem, Mm -hmm. That, to me, is the fracturing of solidarity. It's people from my community uh, pointing the anti-Semitic finger at people at your community and people in your community pointing that finger back and talking about um, us. And I think that uh, while there is a kernel of truth in what each of us are saying, who is benefiting from that? Who benefits mm. from you and I arguing over whether or not Deshaun Jackson is bad or whether or not Jews control the media? And to me, and I'm not necessarily equating those statements, all I'm saying is that the only people that benefit from that are the people that are completely protected and insulated at the highest echelons of society 
mm-hmm. all religions and races, even though I think we're really talking about white people here, all, uh, uh, all of those people who are in the top upper crust of our society that truly are making those decisions, um, not just in media, but in politics um, and, and that are controlling this country and it's not very representative. Those people are clinking glasses every time this argument comes up because when this argument comes up, we stop working together and we start yelling at each other. And this to me is when it all falls apart. This is how we get confused. This is how we lose the narrative. Uh, We lost momentum. Steven Jackson, um, who came to the defense of Deshaun Jackson, NBA player, Steven Jackson, Mm -hmm. he was seen he was seen as a uh, uh, hero for his contributions to George Floyd's family and how he's championed their issues. To me, he still is a hero. But right now, if you type in his name on Google, what do you think comes up? Yeah. Steven Jackson, anti-Semite. And as soon as that gets, as soon as that shifts, we lose momentum. And that's how we are, we start fighting again. So I don't, you know, I don't know if that's a great answer to your question because I know you're you're talking no, it, about how do we no. break out it. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think that so breaking those two things down, solidarity and yeah. mm-hmm. identifying the enemy. I think yeah. those are actually that's actually a perfect answer, but it for some people it's not enough, right? Yeah, because yep. and I'm and I'm speaking of course of people who are so frustrated on both sides, right? We have black folk who are so frustrated that they walk around their community and have no power, right? Um, Who are frustrated, right? I'm not uh, sure if you are uh, aware of Jay-Z's music, but uh, he, on his last album, I think it's his last, or his last solo album, uh, 444, he was called anti-Semitic for his line about uh, this is how paraphrasing, this is how Jewish people um, yep. have taken you know, I know, I know the line, yeah yeah. I can't it's quote the it story now of OJ, the story of OJ, I think was yeah, the, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly, I, yeah. I can't I need to listen to it after but uh, it's yeah. it, it, a complimentary line right, and, and kind of the idea of it in the black community, I'll just tell you, Adam, was or is still every time a, a person of color yep. who has a platform tries to inform our community about anything mm-hmm. that is um, that might be financially empowering, socially empowering. Um, empowering in terms of ownership they are quickly labeled as anti-semitic and we can go down the list for days and days i think what my if you ask me what my uh solution would be is to have complete transparency right i want to know and and you know people talk jay-z talks about people teaching him and uh shannon sharp talks about that and uh, Master P talks about it when Master P was called anti-Semitic last week. Um, yep. And I think that it, it takes a conversation. Like, how how do we gain uh, the yeah the openness, the ownership, the 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 whatever financial power, the whatever that is perceived 
right? That the Jewish people have. And again, and, I know Jay Z's line, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, go on, go on, go on. Jay Z's line is about what you're talking about, which is why even though many people were offended by it, to me, it's in a bit of a different category than what we were talking about earlier. Um, and I, I, I cheated and I pulled up the line, um, mm-hmm. and just just for people listening, I'll I'll read it and then I'll I'll kick it back to you. Um, you want to know what's more important than throwing away money at a strip club? Credit. You ever wonder why Jewish people own all the property in America? This is how they did it. Yeah. So that was his, that was his line that got him in hot water. And me, um, I can tell you, yeah, uh-huh. go ahead, go ahead. Uh, just really quick. And then I'll, I'll wrap it up to me. Uh, this is in our, this is not the way that I would have necessarily phrased it, but this is not the problem facing Jewish people in America, in my opinion. Now, other people may have different opinion, but when we talk about some of the uh, things we were talking about earlier, this isn't to me is an aspirational line about how black people can control more wealth, which to me, you know, should he have said Jewish people own all the property in America? No, he shouldn't have. But was his message about that or was his message about black people owning wealth? To me, that's and that's Jay, that's what Jay Z is all about, right? That's his thing. Well, how can we how can we get black people to own more wealth in this country? And there's a lot we could say about that. But to me, and I'll just I, again, I can't speak for everybody. This line is not as if while, while I would not have stated it this way, this line is not as offensive to me as some of the stuff we were talking about. This is not the Tree of Life shooter did not come into our synagogue angry because of uh, a Jewish fiscal responsibility or perceptions of that. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's, to me, I thought the outrage while I understand it uh, was a little misplaced. Yeah. I think it's, it's almost like, and again, it's the perception, right? It's the perception because mm-hmm. growing up in, in Brooklyn, right? I, I yep. spend, spending significant amount of time in uh, Crown Heights. There is this tension of, yep. you know, like I said before, but I think it's, Again, I have to go back to the point of, and Charlamagne, I, I want to bring this up. I'll ask you about this, right? Because Charlamagne yes. said something. Yes. He said his Jewish friends, right? Uh, yep. They were talking about Nick Cannon. He said his Jewish friends said that it's uh, dangerous to say that Jewish people own all or a lot of anything because it brings up resentment and that can lead to another Holocaust, right? Yeah. Um, and I just, it's just, to me, it kind of feels like a shut up nigga moment. Yep. Use my language, but that's what it feels like. It feels like mm-hmm. you're, you're saying too much, right? Shut the hell up. Yep. Excuse my language again. Um, yep. Right. And it, it's felt like that, again, just giving story, right? I, I want to hear about the Jewish perspective as well, but... As, as a young black dude growing up in Brooklyn, that has been the talk. Every time that yep. we get some information, they got to shut us up one way or another. And one of the most effective ways, again, this to talk, has been call them anti-Semitic. People are going to uh, have their heartstrings pulled mm-hmm. because of the atrocities that have happened to Jewish people um, over the centuries, not just the Holocaust, but, you know, Jewish history way, way before that. Right. Um, yep. And I, I think, uh, yeah. 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 I, I want to know what, yeah. It's re- response to that really quickly. 
Yeah, sorry. Uh, I I think that uh, I, I I hear what you're saying. I think that one of the problems we're facing here is that both sides have like a, a powerful point. I just wish that the anger from both sides was directed elsewhere. And one of the things that I, you know, I, I tell people that, again, they don't understand, how could you defend Charlemagne and what he said was anti-Semitic? And what I always try to respond to them is, is Charlemagne your enemy? Mm. Is Charlemagne the one? Is Charlemagne the one that brought the Tree of Life shooter into that synagogue? Do you think that guy was listening to the Breakfast Club? I don't think so. <laughs> and I think I think um, you know, it, did, do I agree with what Charlemagne said? No. I think there's probably a kernel of truth in it. I think that you have experienced that growing up in Brooklyn. I think a lot of people have experienced that growing up in Brooklyn and in other places as well. So I'm not going to say everything he said is completely false and there's no mm-hmm. truth to it. So I, but, I, when you talk yeah. about the, the real enemy, right? Uh, yep. Because I, I do not know all the details about the Tree of Life yes. shooter, but yes. I'm not thinking that he is a one percenter, right? No, he's not. He's not. Actually, that's a really, really good point, which is yeah. this, this, man, this man was quite different than the people that I'm referring to. But just like I believe we are often used against each other to, to continue focusing at uh, the, our anger at each other, there's an even more nefarious ploy going on in America right now. Uh, and I think it's, op- it's open for everyone to see. And it is not a Jewish plot. It uh, is the plot it is a plot to drive un- undereducated or poor white men, uh, people. And this, I'm not saying this is a factor of being poor necessarily, but people who are in a, in a bad place, people who are lonely, people who have a vulnerability, people who are looking for answers and are not getting it, uh, people with mental illnesses. Now, those people, they go on TV. I think you know who I'm talking about now, but you, you know, they go on TV and they see a whole other group of people that you and I have not even brought up yet, which is our kind of our MAGA crowd. Um, and they see, they see those things and they say, uh, this, this is why I am where I am. And it, is, it, is it the one percenter that's holding the gun? No, never, right? Never. It's never been that uh, billionaire's, uh, walk into a synagogue and, and you commit a crime. Of course not. And uh, are they are they directly telling people? No. But the racial strife that has been perpetuated in this country, I believe, is rooted in some ways, not not in all ways, but in some ways, in class struggle. In uh, and and that's why I forgive Jay Z's for his line is because what Jay Z is trying to do is he's trying to alleviate some of the class tension. If we can own more wealth, if we can control more, then the resentment may fade. Uh, people won't be as angry when they see some people with so much while they have so few. And that same thing is what I think drives, and, and it's not the only thing, but it drives a lot of not just anti-Semitism, but racism. Because we can talk about tree life. We can also talk about Dylan Roof. So mm, similar, similar yeah. Similar, similar situation. He walks in to a black church, just like the tree of life shooter and commits that atrocity. Are they either of those men rich? No, but the narratives that they were following have been perpetuated by people that should have known better and could have done something about it. And I think that's where it comes back. Um, And of course the shooting happens and everybody's against the shooting, right? Nobody supports the shooting. Everybody sees that and they go, Oh my God. And to, to me, I often wonder, well, what did you support that that led that led to the shooting? And I think yes. that's why um, when when Charlemagne said what he said, I think that's why a lot of Jewish people suddenly get 
very hurt. Not because what he said was necessarily wrong, but because the visions start to flash in front of them again. Uh, what if this inspires somebody? And to me, my response to them is, do you really think Charlemagne's audience is the one that is, is, is attacking us? Yes. And the just, answer just is to, no. Just to clarify, yeah. Charlemagne was, was advocating yeah. uh, for the Jewish community. He was saying that Nick Cannon yeah. uh, comments uh, or comments like, uh, you know, Jews own the media could spark a, uh, another. He did say that. Yeah. He did say that. And, and they, and nobody, nobody posted that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, that, that part of his quote, much, much like Farrakhan's speeches. Um, that's not the part that got posted. Uh, the part that got posted was that one little bit, that yeah. one little piece where he said Jewish people own everything or something like that. Yeah. And, you know, it, I, I listened to the entire episode and that was not actually his message. Uh, he, he was talking about something else, but because of the way he said it, his message was lost. And now anybody who wasn't listening to the show uh, is only, mm-hmm. only is going to remember this one piece of it. And I try to do my part to, to say uh, that's not how we should do things, right? That's, that's not how it should be. Um, but I guess what I would, what, one of the points I would come back to is if we're, if we're not careful with our language, if we're mm-hmm. not careful with how we say things, yeah. then whatever good, good message you had is lost anyway. And that's going to happen whether or not you work at a black controlled media outlet or not. Uh, if, if, uh, be, and, the, and the reason, even though I think I think it's a good thing that Nick Cannon got invited to work for Diddy, and I I hope that uh, black-owned networks become more popular, and I hope that black artists and black athletes uh, can control more of you know I mean look at the owners in the professional sports leagues right I mean that's obviously wrong, um, but I think as soon as you when you speak up about the truth when you speak up about facts and you start a sentence like this, the Jews blank. Yeah. You're, you've lost it. You've lost it. Because yeah. as soon as you say, as soon as you say that everybody stops listening and everybody gets afraid and everyone gets upset. It's the same thing, even though the, the two groups are facing different things as when somebody says the blacks X. And, and let me, and let me, let me say that, this. Yeah. Let me say this for the audience, yeah. right? Cause the audience, uh, yeah. Some people are going to push back. Right. But let me just frame it yep. like this. Right. Yep. And as two dudes sitting here uh, or talking, um, yep. a lot of times with me, I'll say, uh, when the Me Too uh, era was first starting, right, um, I felt defensive at first because I didn't understand it. I right. felt like, oh my gosh, what is, is this? Is this is crazy? They're whatever, whatever. And I started sentences like, "All women think," blah 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 blah. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. I had to field questions like, why are men, blah, 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 blah. And I got defensive because I was like, well, I don't yep. do these things, right? So when I think what people are saying, right, I think just for the listeners, I think what we're saying is whenever we blanket people, yep. whenever we say black people are responsible for this or Jewish people are responsible for this, it's dangerous. The reason why yep. some people can get away with saying white people are responsible for certain things is because it's not a specific targeted or it's not a, 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 a that's right targeted group. That's right. One, it's a social it's a social construct. Yep. Right. Yep. Um, I speak to I, I want you to speak to a little bit about that the idea of a social construct through the lens. I did not know that you grew up in Virginia, and I want mm-hmm. to hear a little bit about 
that being Jewish in the South, because I come from the South as well. Yes. Right. Um, I want to. Then, then you, I know what you're about to get into because we've experienced something similar, but keep going. Yeah, yeah, please, please talk, talk a little bit about that because the yeah. whiteness, right? What is whiteness um, yep. in relation to you, in relation to you in Brooklyn, and in relation to you in Virginia? How do you deal with being Jewish, white? Do you see yourself as white? On and on and on and on. Go for it. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the answer to your question is yes, I see myself as white. Uh, I see myself as white because I have undoubtedly benefited from being white, and there's just no way around it. You cannot cut it any other way. And like I was trying to say before, I was born in 1989. The Jewish struggle from 1989 to 2020 does not outweigh the white privilege from 1989 to 2020. So for me to come and, and look at, uh, you know, like a lot of people in Brooklyn, uh, your Hasidic community or stuff like that, they wouldn't be telling you what I'm telling you. They would see something differently because their experience has been different than me. Um, so I, I'll give you a quick kind of anecdote of uh, when we moved in. I grew up in a rural area in Virginia. Uh, it was a Baptist area and a lot of people did not, there was no Jewish community of any kind. I mean, we were, we may as well have flown in from Zimbabwe to some of these people. And I think uh, they, they, they were shocked, you know, and a lot of the uh, discussions when we first moved in were around, uh, when are you coming to church? Essentially, wow. they would come and knock on the door. They would come and knock on the door. They would have bring auto casseroles. It was all with a smile. Uh, you know, when when are you when are you coming to church with us? Everybody in our neighborhood goes to church. And uh, for us, obviously, that wasn't what we were going to do. And eventually it got to the point where we didn't really talk to our neighbors anymore. There was one exception and we could have a whole other podcast about him, but uh, a working class fellow who was a great friend to our family moved in next door to us and he was he held us down he he was always the one that was kind of looking out for us um but let me say something i think that's very important and then i'd like to ask you about your experience down in the south as well mm -hmm. i never i never felt afraid of these people they never they they saw us as different and as others but we were still white we were still white we uh we might not have fit in on my little group but the schools i went to uh, sure, there was a little bit of bullying every now and then, but that doesn't really color my experience. Uh, it, 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 to me, I was a white guy. And I think, uh, you know, as much as I can go on here and tell you, you know, I identify as this, I identify as that, the reality was that that was the case. So I'm interested to hear, and, that, and that's just one little story, but, you know, I, I can't tell you, and, and I have had relatives, I should say, there's people I'm related to, even this year, that have had people go up and scream at them in the street for wearing a, a star of David necklace. It happened to me, mm -hmm. to my, to my cousin, my cousin, uh, and other people. And the person that did that was a homeless person. And to me, wow. I think that's an, imp that's an important thing to point out, which is, uh, how can, how can we, um, look at the people that are saying those things? How can we look at the homeless person or, and I'm even, even somebody wealthy like Deshaun Jackson, mm -hmm. how can Jewish people look at them and say, uh, these people are the problem when we know who's really the problem because these uh, attacks have been committed by a, a different group. But anyway, all, all to say, uh, to sum up here, you know, did it feel like I was othered every now and then? Yes. Would I ever compare it to the black experience in the South? No, I don't even think it's in the same arena. But maybe, maybe you'll correct me. I'm interested to know what you have to say. Um, I feel like, well, I'll say this, <clears throat> and I am, you know, a public fan of of 
Georgia and everything. Northern Georgia. Yeah. I'm not uh, not vouching for South Georgia because that's where a lot of bad things go down. But um, I always respect, if not like, I always respect when people are 100%. Um, yep. My grandmother has a neighbor who, after my grandfather passed, uh, asked her if they could hang up their Confederate flag. Um, mm. Yeah, this is by far, uh, you know, it was like a you know normal white family, right? They would say hello, yep. and, you know, whatever, but they wanted to hang up this this Confederate flag. Um, I came down as a New Yorker, and I'm like, what in the? I would use choice <laughs> language back then, but you know, what, you know, what is this? And, you know, it was like, you know, they asked and I didn't want to make a big deal. And, you know, they said that they believe certain things. And I said, well, as long as you don't take it to, or she said, as long as you don't bring that over here, then we're fine. Just treat me, treat me nice. And you can have your own uh, beliefs. Now saying that, I relate that always to New York. My problem with New York is, and this might be go back to your, uh, the class thing that you were talking about. But in New York, it is always, seemingly always surreptitious. It's never, I yeah. have certain views about, you know, certain racial views, or I have certain, you know, uh, prejudices or certain whatever. It is always cloaked in this sort of uh, feigned liberalism, right? This, yep. You know, and I work at the Brooklyn Museum, so I see it all the time, right? You show up for, (laughs) uh, (laughs) you know, you show up for charity events all the time. And you see all these people, you're supposed to be about, you know, uh, being a good person and doing charitable things and, you know, fighting for people's rights and all of this. But you treat the person that, you know, is, is taking your coat a certain way or you talk down to certain people on the staff, you talk down to certain, you know, people of, of color, you dismiss certain people, da 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 da. So it's very surreptitious. I think that the 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 difference uh just has to do with the the ability, right? You you're you're only as faithful as your options, right? In New York, you can't really go out and say I, I don't like certain people. You can, but you won't be very you'll be called out. It, it won't last it won't last very long. Yeah. It won't play too well. And I think it's political. It's not like you really feel that way, right? Um, we go back to, I go back to Bloomberg, right? Not, again, yep. because he's Jewish, but because he's Bloomberg, right? Yep. Um, which is how, which is exactly how you should be talking about it. But anyway, keep, exactly, keep going. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, he uh, comes to my church all the time, you know, when he, when it was open, um, pre-COVID. And uh, to give, uh, for the listeners to give context, my church is CCC, Christian Cultural Center, massive church in Brooklyn. He comes there all the time. He came there when he was in politics. He came, this is the church that he apologized for stop and frisk at, to give context. Yep. Um, and again, it seemed like it was kind of, kind of a faux type of thing where it's like, I, I'm going to apologize when it's political. I'm going to you yep. know, stand with people when it's political or seeing online now. I'm going to do it when it's a trend. I'll post the black box. I'll be nice. Yep. I'll put up some BLM yep. stuff on my story as long as it doesn't mess up. Then I'll move on. Yeah. Exactly. I, I, I want to see because how are you, and, and you might be closer to, 
to the, the ground level on this because you're dealing with people that may be more authentic, but how are you engaging with white folk that you know are kind of like, eh, really? Are you, you know, like, are you really mean this? Or are you, just, yeah. or, you know, how, how are you? Yeah, that's, that's, it's, I think it's a question that most white people should have to answer right now. Um, and I think it, it's a, uh, it's very easy for us to say, um, oh, well, my uncle, when my uncle comes over at Thanksgiving and he says a slur, I always tell him, you know, I always tell him he's wrong or something like that. That's the, that's the, that's the easiest part of the battle, right? Because what, what we're talking about is things that you can identify so easily and things that are difficult to see. And I think when, I mean, when somebody says something that I know that, and, and again, I, I probably do it myself sometimes, so I'm not going to act like I'm the expert in this, but when somebody in my circle says something that I think is, they, they I, I guess I'll phrase it like this, they don't know that it's racist or they don't know that it's, it's wrong. Uh, I think the best thing to bring up and the way I always try to say it is why did, why did you say that? (laughs) Because when you ask somebody that they have to stop and think about the answer, why did I just talk to my waiter that way? Or why did I just talk to uh, this person that was, uh, you know, in a different class situation, or if it's reverse, let's say it's not a class-based issue. Why did I react to what I saw on television this way? And to me, I think um, if I can get somebody talking that way, uh, it's effective because I do think the work of making white liberalism more, I guess, transforming white liberalism, it's, it's two things that we have to do. We have to call it what it is, which is oftentimes veiled racism. And we have to transition. And again, we can have a whole other podcast about this. We have to transition from liberalism into, and if I, I say this word, people are going to take it the wrong way, but a true, and, and, and Farrakhan himself actually talks about this. He gets it wrong in another interesting quote because he says the Jews aren't a part of it, but it's socialism in, in, in a certain sense. The yeah. idea that that we must share, we must not just talk about it, we must share what we have ill-gotten, <laughs> what, what, what white people have that they might not necessarily have earned. We have to share it and we have to uh, let it go. And I think that one, one of the things that irks me about liberalism is that it's the easiest thing to do is to post that Instagram story. I'm glad people do it. I'm glad people do it. There is a whole wave of people that are, are changing minds. And I do think that I I'm heartened by what I see, just like what you were saying earlier, but that's the easiest thing to do, isn't it? You can just get on and make a post and move on. And I think that uh, to me, we have to deconstruct the system that brought us the capitalist system that brought liberalism to what it is, which is uh, uh, socially conscious in inequality that must be destroyed and it must be replaced with, I believe, at the very least, a democratic socialist system in which everybody has an equal opportunity. And if you don't, if you want to post an Instagram story, but you don't want to address the underlying economic problem that stops people from being equal, then to me, you, you haven't even started yet. Uh, and that's just my point of view uh, around. Want, and now I want, I, I'm a, yeah. I want everyone... <laughs> If you if you thought you got that, you didn't get that. Rewind it and listen <laughs> to that because that was such an on point answer. Um, wow! And this is the point. And I, I have to say this right at this point in 
the the it's not even an interview it's a conversation right at this point this is when things start to open up this is when things start to change whether we're talking about black jewish relations whether we're talking about uh, poverty whether we're talking about um relations between men and women this is when it starts when people start to have their eyes open when it's like oh you have a, you have a point i never saw it like that right and realizing it's not just socially conscious inequality that is a word that i'm going to to pin uh for for a while it's all yours yeah i, I mean just in terms of the the the, the podcast the platform the fact that we see things happening, we're conscious of it happening, we're quote unquote woke, yet we still allow it to happen. Why do you think, why do you think that is, Adam? Why is it that we know certain things are wrong? We know certain, yeah. we, you shouldn't be having nobody's uh, knee in your neck uh, to that yeah. point. You should not be calling some, shooting up synagogues. You shouldn't be, uh, using crazy language towards anybody that you wouldn't uh, want used to yourself. You shouldn't be out here preaching hate. And I'm. And again, let me say this for anyone listening, because and, and pin that question. Don't forget that question, Adam, because I'm going to go on a little bit of a, a side thing here. Go, go on. Anyone, anyone listening, right? I know that there is a sentiment whenever we. Um, are in solidarity, there is always a sentiment of, oh, look at that, excuse my language, look at that uh, nigga over there, right? He's being a house, you know, and I'm not gonna use that word anymore for the rest yep. of the but he's being a house person, right? He is, he is being um, palatable, right? He is whatever, whatever. Let me say to you this, I emphatically believe that the Honorable Lewis, uh, Minister Louis Farrakhan is one of the greatest teachers that I have ever sat down and listened to. I would not be the, have the voice that I have, would not be the person that I am if it wasn't for that man, right? But I can say, I can say that if it's a language that is going to cause violence, if it's language that is going to uh, put people's lives at risk, it's not language that I want to align with. That being said, if we're gonna talk about things that people have done to us that have hurt us, things that people yeah. have done to us that have made us feel undermined or made us feel um, less than or, or, or caused us pain in any way, they should be called out. Whether they be black, whether they be Jewish, Italian, Puerto Rican, whatever is in the middle of that. We should call people out when they make us feel men, women, your your husband or wife at home. You should call people out when they make you feel uh, like you are less than. But if it's being if it's if you're gonna call someone out and say they should be hit or they should be killed, not saying that Minister Louis Farrakhan ever said that, but there are people out there who say that the uh, the black yep. Israelites, right? Who I'm not a fan of. Yep. Um, Me neither. <laughs> I, I I mean. No hate, no language should ever inspire violence. If you can't deal with, your, with, with someone you disagree with without being peaceably disagreeable, without sitting down and talking, they say, they say money and violence is the only way to solve things. I don't agree with that, 
yeah, go go. If if that is true, let's do some economic empowerment then. There should never yeah. be any violence talk, and that's what I'm aligning myself with. So don't give me the don't be up in my DMs talking about you. No, 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 no. I'm here talking. We're here having a conversation. We're here opening up the platform. So with that being said, please go on, uh, Adam. Take the floor. Yeah, and I just one thing to that real quick. Um, you talked about calling people out. That's mm -hmm. a different thing than than firing people. Uh, you know, there there were a lot of calls for Deshaun Jackson to be cut from the team. Uh, there were a lot of people calling for Nick Cannon to be fired, essentially. Because mm -hmm. when I look at when I look at Deshaun Jackson, I'm going I'm to use him as an example because I think that he came out of this the right way. Deshaun Jackson made a mistake with what he said. He posted a Hitler thing. It wasn't even real, but he posted a Hitler thing. He shouldn't have done that. We should not be posting Hitler quotes in any sort of supportive way. No way. Um, he, he, he gets called out. He gets called out. He comes back the next day with a, a real apology. He comes back with a contrite apology. And then uh, a, a Holocaust survivor invites him to Auschwitz, essentially, to say, uh, hey, I'm not going to cancel you. I'm going to come show you my world. I'm going to come show you what I grew up in. Uh, and and uh, he accepted the invitation and they're going to go have a conversation and he's going to come back thinking about things differently. Should he be let go from the team? Hell no. And that's something that I think is the problem with the Viacom example and, and in the NFL is that you can call somebody out and you can say that was wrong without make, stealing their livelihood away from them. Obviously, there's some exceptions. Sometimes people say something so horrible it can never be, you know, walked back from. But I think nine times out of ten, uh, you know, if you've not if you've not committed a crime against another person, you've not been violent, you've not hurt them, you've not assaulted them, should you really should you really lose your job over that? And my my answer is is no. I think that Deshaun Jackson can end up becoming somebody who empowers both black community and the Jewish community, and as the result of this, um, but. Anyway, uh, I, I can't recall your initial question to me because uh, <laughs> I was so interested in what you were saying. But uh, me either. But that's I, usually I what happens in, in great conversations. Yeah, that yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm I am glad that that you brought it up. Um, and I think you know, I guess if I could just come back to one point, uh, yes, maybe as as we start thinking about what to end on. Mm -hmm. um, when I come back to solidarity, solidarity is not firing Deshaun Jackson and Nick Cannon. That's not solidarity from us. Just like it wasn't solidarity for Deshaun Jackson to call out the Jews as a whole group and to make this generalization and to use this speech from, from Hitler. And, and it wasn't solidarity for Farrakhan to say the Jews were responsible for the filth of Hollywood. What, you know, that doesn't mean that everything they've ever done is bad. And I think that there are people that will, just like there are people that will come to you and say the things you said to you, I can't believe you said that or whatever. I'm quite sure there will be people that will come to me and say, how can you say that about, you know, Farrakhan is an evil man. He's, he's a villain. Um, and, and how could you have excused? And even people that I talked to about coming on to the, this podcast, there were people that said that to me. Uh, how can you, how can you, how can you go on and talk about Farrakhan in any positive way? How could you even bring up the empowerment messaging when he said what he said? Mm. And just like those people say, uh, you know, that's, that's what makes you not a real Jew. That's what makes you whatever. And I mean, mm. and, and you might get it, you might get it worse than me. To me, part of solidarity is having these conversations. If we're not even allowed to talk about why people like Farrakhan and, 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 and why people 
why Steven Jackson supported Deshaun Jackson, why Dwayne Wade supported Nick Cannon, why he wanted to, to back him up. If we can't even talk about that without losing our heads, then we can't have solidarity. We can't join hands and go out into the street and bring down the structures of power that are holding down black Americans. We can't do it because we're going to we're going to just start squabbling about anti-Semitism and black nationalism. And to me, I think that the conversation we're having, this is why I always love talking to you and why I always respond to your content, because I know that we're going to be able to sit down and talk and it's not going to be anybody. You, you've said a couple things on this call that I disagreed with, and I might have said a couple things on this call you disagreed with, mm-hmm. but Solid, the, the first part of solidarity, the first part of how we're going to be able to overthrow the system in this country that has caused so many people so much pain is being able to say, we're on the same side and we need to act like it. <laughs> we, need to, we need to act like it. We need to be able to look each other in the eye and talk about this. And, um, you know, that's something that I think one of the things I love about living in Brooklyn is my neighbors, I have Caribbean neighbors. I've talked to them about Caribbean American neighbors. I've talked to them about their beliefs about Jewish people. Did I change their mind every single time? No. Did they change my mind every single time? No. But we're still friends. We hang out on the street corner. We pop a beer. We hang out. And and this topic comes up. We address it openly. But that is how we're going to be able to beat this. We got to work together. And I think that the first part of doing that is just having a conversation without getting so angry at the other person so quickly. Exactly, a hundred percent. I feel like that's all. I, you, that's all I got. You, that's all I got for you. <laughs> I, I, I want to ask you in closing. Yeah, um, sure, sure. We talked about how do we pierce uh, the people, right? How do we move on? So solidarity, identifying the real enemy. Um, but let's say a year, a year from now, right? Everyone's back in in their normal places of work everything's open again hopefully (laughs) we don't know hopefully right um yeah hopefully and you know people have things going on right the the attention is solely squared on uh any anything in particular how do you see conversations and confrontations uh positive confrontations happening Mm -hmm. right what where do you see uh the most effective confrontations how do you see that going down right because i, 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 I like know, to know uh, I, yeah uh, because I, I know a lot of times we uh we talk a lot we do a lot of talking right but when it's time to and, and it's i always say it's like going to the gym right everyone's excited when they first get their gym membership everyone's instagramming about it on you know the first month but a year from now then you see who's really dedicated right most people fall off Right. So I want to, what does that look like? What is, because, you know, after a year, it's like, all right, get off it. That's, that's the general thing about how these things. I'm tired of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to add one more, I'm going to add one more factor. And then I'd love to hear your answer to the same question, which is we also have a presidential election coming up Uh, and there's going to be, there's going to be a certain amount of people. Let's say Joe Biden wins this election. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a certain amount of people that say the Democrat has won. We are, we are doing it. We're fixing it. Uh, uh, and, and I think that when that happens, you know, it, it's quite, you know, Trump and Biden kind of follows what we were talking about earlier with there's people that just come right out and say it. And there's people that don't say it out loud, but they think it. And I think that 
when a lot of the people, the liberals that are in the second category, they're going to see this Biden win if he does win. And they're going to say, I, I turned out, I voted for Biden. I gave my 20 bucks back in July. Mm-hmm. We are, we, we're solving it. We're fixing we're it. Yeah. And I, and I think that, um, that's, that's the, one of the biggest dangers. I think that, um, you, you asked my prediction, like, how do I think these confrontations are going to happen next year? Let's say coronavirus clears up and Joe Biden wins the election. To me, I think that, um, I, I'll be honest with you. I don't think we're, we're ready yet. Mm. I don't think America, I don't think we're there yet. I've been telling a couple people about 2024, 2024. And, and I'm not saying this is what I want. I wish it was, I wish it could happen tomorrow. But what I see right now in the leadership of our country is still a battle between two groups of people that mostly want to keep things the same. Um, now, there are uh, differences. I'm not saying Republicans and Democrats are the same. I'm not saying Trump and Biden are the same. They're obviously different. But they both share a uh, overall a viewpoint that we should mostly keep what we have in, in, intact. So I think there's two things to think about here. The first is my prediction, which is that I do not think next year we will be that much further along than we are today. I really don't. And I'm sorry to say it. I don't think we're there yet. I think that uh, my hope is over the next five years, over the next 10 years, and there's probably much more educated people than me that can make a better prediction. But over the next five or 10 years that we do start to get some people in power and you are starting to see it. You know, you and I were talking about the in New York, uh, Bowman. Bowman yeah. beat Engel up in the Bronx. And yeah. to me, that's an, exa- that's an example of somebody who wants to change the system, beating somebody who wants to preserve the system. And to me, I think uh, that's, doesn't that sound better than a black fan beating a Jew, which is what happened. Uh, but it was, it was really more that, that Bowman uh, to me, and there's others. Uh, there's Ocasio-Cortez, there's other people kind of around the nation that are starting to advocate for a more radical change. To, to achieve what we need to achieve, we need to focus our energy on supporting those people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think when we look at, uh, there's a lot of people carried away with like winning back the Senate and the presidency right now. And they're looking, this is, I'm talking about Democrats right now. And they're looking at, uh, oh, I, we, we might be able to win in Kentucky. We might mm-hmm. be able to win in uh, this other place. And what I always try to think first off before, and I'm not saying I want Mitch McConnell to win his election or whatever. Obviously I don't. But what I'm trying to say here is, am I going to put my energy in supporting somebody that mostly wants to keep the system the way it is just because they're a Democrat when there are other people in this country you could support that you could focus on? And that would send a message. That would send a message. If you donated your money and you focused your support on people that are truly talking about big change, people that really want to shift power back to black Americans, shift wealth back to black Americans, and also empower poor Americans that include white people. This is the thing. That's what solidarity is. Because if we can achieve the reforms that pass power to the black community, it will also uplift white people that have been forgotten and pushed to the wayside in this country as well. And I think that that's one of the things that we need to focus on in America is like, that's what solidarity is. When we lift up our black countrymen, that tide will raise our ships as well. And I think that that's something that we need to focus on next year politically and financially and how we keep the movement alive is we, we find those radical thinkers. We find the people that aren't afraid to say the crazy thing, the big idea. And we yeah. put everything behind the. We find we put everything behind those people. Yes, 
a thousand percent. I I uh I want this conversation to go on, right? I want uh <laughs> it, I mean and, and this is the thing about about it goes beyond this, but it goes to finding good people, right? Pun totally intended. Yep. Um finding people that you connect with, um that have a, a genuine uh want to to communicate and to grow and to learn. And I've learned so much from this conversation. I've grown so much from this conversation. I thank you for coming on. Me too, me too. If you um if you want to uh listener, if you want to get involved, please, please do. Please comment, DM, um, reach out, right? Um it's not just something where uh, we talk and you listen. It's we talk and then you talk, right? And then we listen, we read, we, we, we respond, right? It's something that um, I, I never wanna be one of those people that get too, uh, too highfalutin or too busy or too whatever <laughs> for, for people to, to really reach out and talk. This is, this is our platform. I've been saying it. this is our platform. It's not mine. It's not Adam's. This is our platform, right? This is for us. So with that being said, uh, you guys know where you can reach me. Uh, I don't know. Ad- Adam is is different from who we usually have on. Adam is a private citizen, <laughs> so I don't know <laughs> wants to be re- reached directly. Well, if anybody really wants to talk to me, uh, that y- you can be my uh, <laughs> you can be my agent. Okay, so, we, we can, uh, uh, I'll be the conduit. And if anything, guys. I think I- yeah. yeah. If anything, guys, you can feel free to comment under. Uh, we're we're going to post this uh, as a thing on Instagram, right? Uh, feel free to comment or, or DM me and I'll relay it, right? There's open communication here, right? Don't post anything dumb like, you know, burn and die. But Or if you want to <laughs> post that, if you want to post that, tell me why you feel that way. How about that? And just know, just know I'll be jumping in the replies if I see that. Of course. <laughs> As we should. Oh, man. If anyone's going to tell my, if anyone's going to say something like that about my boy Kyle, then we're going to, uh, we're going to have words. Listen, man, I, I, I would say I can't wait to see you and have a beer, but that's not my lane anymore. But I can't wait to see you around Crown Heights and we'll have some, uh, we'll get some food and we'll, uh, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll talk. Any, anything you want to do. All right, brother. Thank you for this conversation. Guys, y'all stay put. Adam, you stay put. Um, And we'll talk to you later. Say bye to the good people, Adam. Goodbye. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks. Guys, it's always such an amazing thing to have a great conversation. We base this whole platform on the power of stories, the power of experiences, and the power, really, of conversation. The power of sitting down with someone that you might not agree with 100%, but having the maturity, having the poise, having the really the the will to grow enough to sit down and listen to what they say, right? This has been such a transformative conversation for me. Um, And I know that, well, I'll let I let uh, what happens happens and what unfolds unfolds. But just know that this is not the last time that you'll see or hear uh, Adam on this platform. So until next time, think good, see good, 
do good, but most importantly, be good. Peace. Good people, don't forget to follow Finding Good Times at Finding Good Times on all platforms, at Finding Good Times on all available platforms, and of course, FindingGoodTimes.com. Keep following, keep sharing, keep reposting, most importantly, keep being good. Love y'all.